All right, so if you saw in the uh, announcements last week, we are going to attempt a, uh, a survey of the book of Deuteronomy in three weeks. And Peter's already been very kind and gracious and say, hey, if you need more time, take more time. So. <laughs> um, and and it, it, I, think, I think we'll be able to do it, and we're really going to try to do a, a survey of the book and highlight... Um, Try to get to the heart of it and, and the, the real emphasis and foundation that the book is founded upon, as well as how the rest of the Bible uses this book in particular. Uh, and, then, and then how can you know, we glean? Because you know, this book has been, you know, it's, it sits back in that section where we don't turn to the left often. You know, we always le- tend to turn our Bibles to the right. And uh, we like that right side. And, um, and we, we need to know the left side as well. As the foundation. Left side of your Bible. It's the first testament. And then the second testament. Can you hear me? It's too low. It's too low. It's going up and down. Fluctuating. It needs a little louder. I I pulled the mic around. So that should help it a little bit. Is that better? I can can talk louder about it here. It's pretty hot behind me. And pick it up from the speaker. So. Trying to control it. Anyway, let's pray and get started. Father God, you know us and uh, you have, have set your love upon us, God, as your people. God, we want to look back and look at another people that had your love set upon them, a people that... Uh, that we learn in the New Testament, that we've been grafted into, God. So we want to understand whom we've been grafted into and, and what promises you gave them and what, what uh, aspects of your character can we learn and, and grow in about you. God, I ask for clarity in my speech, in my words. Lord God, I pray for um, the ears of the hearers. Oh God, would you bless their ears, God, because of your faithfulness to your word. And it's your word we stand under for this teaching, Lord. So be glorified today. Bless our time together. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. Verse 1-1 says, These are the words that Moses spoke to all Israel beyond the Jordan in the wilderness, in the Arabah opposite Suf, between Paran and Tophel, Laban, Hazaroth, and Dizhavah. So the first question we need to get to is, how did we get here? So let's do a brief introduction to the Bible, and we're going to cover the first four books quickly, um, and just try to try to get our, our, our bearings set as we... Try to learn where Moses and the people are. So we start with Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. These books, along with Deuteronomy, form a foundation for the rest of the whole Bible. They are commonly grouped together and labeled the instruction or the law. You'll notice that I'm going to leave out a lot of big words that are normal words that we hear about this. And that's intentional. I want this, I want this, these class, this overview, this study... To be as if someone from Alpha just stepped into this room and said, 
I know nothing about this. And I want us to walk through these elements and learn about them uh, from that foundational level together. So there are five of them, and um, they do form a group in the Hebrew mindset. Um, They actually use a mathematical equation in their word for these five books, and they say they are one-fifth, or they're five-fifths as a whole, and each one is a one-fifth of of the books. Um, And it's where you get the the big word uh, Pentateuch that we learn from, these teachings in the law. So... Genesis 1-1 is where we begin, as everyone should always begin. In the beginning, God, right? What a foundation. In the beginning, this omnipotent, eternal, all-powerful God that we've been learning about with Matt and Peter in our systematic study. In the beginning, he created the heavens and the earth. So everything that we can see and taste and hear and touch and smell and the thousands of things that we can't use our senses to perceive and don't even know about, God created everything, and it was very good. God created humans, particularly in his image, and placed this first man and woman into a beautiful garden. He gave them identity and worth He gave them authority and work and marriage. And he gave them a mandate. He gave them a task task to fill the earth by multiplying. So in Genesis 1 and 2, established a foundation for God's very good world. And everything does not stay very good for very long. In chapter 3, we're introduced to a new entity. A new character enters our story. In the form of a serpent. The serpent is opposed to the authority of God. And the serpent approaches the humans and deceives them into believing God's word. And disobeying the one commandment that God had established. And the humans rebelled against God. And chose to trust in what they could see. And what they desire. Rather than trusting God's words and letting him make that decision. This act of rebellion plunged all of creation into death and futility. So God goes on and he declares curses upon the serpent and the humans. But in the curses, he also makes a promise. He would rescue humanity. One of their own descendants would be the one who would rescue them. God would put enmity, strife, and hatred between the woman's descendants and the serpent's descendants. And one day, there would be one who would crush the serpent's head, even though that one would have his heel bruised. And it sets up a paradigm. It sets up a pattern that victory often comes through suffering. And the Bible declares that over and over again. So the book of Genesis goes on to narrate the story of God's rescue. Where will this one come from? How will he he show up? And everyone's looking for him at first. God promises to come to God's promises come to life as God chooses a specific man named Abram to be his promised partner. 
Abram, right? All the people in the world. A, a moon-worshipping, wandering Aramean out of the land of Ur of the Chaldees. God tells Abram, leave your home and your family. Go into the land that I am going to take you to and be my promise keeper. And Abraham agrees and trusts God. So at the age of 75, he leaves his father's house with his wife, one nephew, and a few servants. But you notice what's missing. There's no child. The promise was going to come from one of the descendants. Where's the child? And once in the land God promised Abraham, he would... I'm sorry, mix it up here. Once in the land, God promised that he would make Abraham into a great nation of millions of descendants. And that God would give his descendants this land. And that God would bless Abram and make him a blessing. And that in Abram, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And Abram believed God. God changes Abram's name to Abraham and gives him a son. At the age of 100, and Abraham names him Isaac. Through that son, the promises would carry on. For Abraham himself was not the promised one. The next main character we meet in our story is actually Isaac's second son, Jacob. And Jacob is a character. Jacob's one of my favorites because I identify with him very well. Jacob, like his Paul Paul, would be given a new name, the name of Israel. And Jacob had 12 sons. These sons will eventually become heads of 12 divisions of Jacob's family. Oftentimes in the Bible, they're called tribes. One of those sons, Joseph, becomes a great man in the nation of Egypt because of the plan and purposes of God. And Israel and his other sons and their families follow Joseph down to Egypt. And there they thrive in the land. But Joseph dies. And we learn that Joseph is not the promised one. And so the book of Genesis closes. The book of Exodus is next. It covers in one chapter the span of 400 years. And we discover that the Israelites have greatly increased in number, but are now slaves in Egypt. And we learn that Egypt is not the land that God had promised them. In chapter 2, we're introduced to Moses, an Israelite infant, who according to the purpose and plan of God, is rescued from death by the daughter of the ruler of Egypt. He would reside in the ruler's house for 40 years until he kills an Egyptian and flees to a desert land where he would live for another 40 years. The third chapter of Exodus starts to recount God's plan to save his people from slavery through Moses. God delivers Israel through a series of 10 plagues. And the supernatural crossing of the Red Sea. And God leads them to the wilderness. Where he supernaturally provides and protects them. According to his plan. God brings Israel to a mountain named Sinai. Or in the book of Deuteronomy. 
um, that it's called Horeb. And so you don't want to get confused there, but two names for one mountain. It is here that God reminds the Israelites of his promises to Abraham and establishes those promises with him in a ceremony that's much like a marriage covenant where God says, if you will follow and obey me and love and trust me, then I will be your God and you will be my people. And all the people respond, we will follow and we will obey. He makes a new promise to Moses and the Israelites and he will be their God and they will be his people. It is here that God gives them the Ten Commandments. Perhaps you saw the movie. These commandments are the right action for God's people based upon the character of God. Along with the Ten Commandments, God gives Moses the instructions to build the tent where Israel will worship God and keep the holy objects that God instructs them to build. He will be their God and they will be his people. The next book, the book of Leviticus, answers the question, how can a holy God live amid any people, less these people, who have proven by their unrighteousness and their rebellion already that they're worthy of of being destroyed, but for the intercession of Moses, they're not. So God establishes a set of practices for the covering over of their sins by the blood sacrifices of animals. He also establishes a rhythm to their lives by specifying food regulations and setting up a yearly festivals, uh, setting up yearly festivals that shall be observed by the Israelites. And he will be their God in this way and they will be his people. The book of Numbers is next. And in the book of Numbers, we have the recordings of the people finally moving towards the promised land away from Mount Horeb. And they, they are told that it's in the second year that they've, they've been at Mount Horeb for a year. And in the second year, they're told to leave and go towards the promised land. And they end up in the wilderness of Kadesh Barnea, which is kind of the southeast of the land of Israel as you know it today right there on the edge of the promised land. And they send out spies. They send out 12 spies to go and survey the land. Tell us, is it, is it good? You know, is it good for, for farming, for shepherding? Are there people there? Are they walled cities? Um, are they strong people, big people? What kind, of, what kind of people are they? And are they short people? <laughs> hey, baby. <laughs> um, and so God allows the spies to go in, and the spies return with two different reports. The first report is, is very similar between both of them. Yes, the land is good, plenty. They even bring back you know, grapes that have to be carried between two men. The bunch is so big. They said it's, it's a rich, rich land. But the tri- they then separate, and ten of the spies tell of the negative side of the land. The people are too big. The people are too strong. Their cities, their walls are too massive. There's no way we can defeat this people. And their hearts melted before the people. But there were two that went, Joshua and Caleb, said, no way. If God is for us, they didn't deny what the the other ten said, but they say, if God is for us, we're going to take it. It'll be our land. Let's go. 
But the people persisted and rebelled. And God became angry with them and Moses because of this. And he sends them back into the wilderness to wander for 40 years until this generation, the older generation, dies out except for Joshua and Caleb. They will be the only two from the generation that will be allowed to go back into the promised land. So there's many important stories in the book of Numbers we learn about. There's constant rebellions over and over again, complaining because the people are continuing the pattern that we saw in the garden of living by their eyes and living by their desires. Over and over again, they will not choose to trust God. It gets so bad and so infectious that even Moses himself is sinful. And instead of obeying the word of God, he chooses to act in a way that God commanded him not to. And because of that act, he will not be allowed to go into the promised land. So, that brings us back to the book of Deuteronomy. Where God's people, once again, camp on the edge of the promised land. This time they're opposite Jericho. So let me read a few verses from chapter 1 and set the scene for us as a means of introduction. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, and then verse 8. These are the words that Moses spoke to all Israel beyond the Jordan in the wilderness. In the Arabah opposite Suf, between Paran and Tophel, Laban, Hazaroth, and Dizahabah. It is 11 days' journey from Horeb, by the way of Mount Seir, to Kadesh Barnea. In the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses spoke to the people of Israel according to all that the Lord had given him in commandment to them. Verse 8. See, I have set the land before you. Go in. Take possession of that land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them and to their offspring after them. There are seven details that we need to establish in order to help us along our journey through the book of Deuteronomy. Detail number one. We've already kind of discussed it, but the Bible is full of patterns. Often the purpose of a narrative is descriptive of what happened, and that narrative plants a seed. And those seeds tend to grow up inside of the rest of the narratives that come up or inside of the teachings and commandments that we read. And so we can see that even though there are individual books in the Bible, they're actually one story that God is telling with many perspectives. You know, you have 66 books but written by, by many authors, but they're telling one story of who God is who we are, and God's plan of redemption for us as we learn about. So those seeds tend to sprout and weave into the other narratives for the purpose that the reader is intended to see the narratives as one large narrative instead of many individual narratives. So we bring the truths that we learned in earlier narratives into the current narrative, and it will bring fuller life to the current narrative. We've already discussed two of these patterns. The first pattern of the promised one from Genesis 3. The second pattern that the descendants of the woman would follow God's design and will be constantly in conflict, conflict with
with the descendants of the servant who reject his design. In Genesis, we read about the pattern of God's activity. God will have a people, and they will be in a place of his choosing. He will give them his design and his desire for their lives. And they will have to choose to follow those designs and desires. So we need to look for these connections throughout the Bible and throughout the book of Deuteronomy to understand God's message in fuller ways. There are tons of patterns that are woven into the book of Deuteronomy, and it's incumbent upon us to draw them out as we study this book. The second detail we need to assist us on our journey is found in Deuteronomy 1.1. These are the words that Moses spoke to all Israel beyond the Jordan in the wilderness. In other words, there's a special emphasis given here to the style of Moses speaking to the people. Moses is preaching to the people of Israel. There's a sermonic tone to his words. Now, I, I picture Moses at the age of 120. He knows that these are his last days, that these are his last words. And this is the last time he will get to instruct this people. And he wants them to treasure God when they are in the land. This is the establishment of School of the Word. I don't know if you knew that. There it is. Of course, this would be right before Moses brought on a young protege named Peter Davison to help him co-teach. <laughs> Close proximity in there. <laughs> but Moses wants to prepare them for the conquest of the promised land and to know how to act once they're in the promised land and to understand what will happen if and when they fail to live inside the promises of God while living in the promised land. We'll get to all of that in due time. Number three, let's think about the long name, Deuteronomy. It comes from the Greek and then the Latin, and it's composed of two words, deutero, meaning second, and nomos, meaning law. So therefore, second law. The title um, is important for a few reasons and, and is appropriate in that in, in chapter 5, there's almost a verbatim retelling of the Ten Commandments. So you have a second reading of that law from Exodus 20. And there are many repetitions of laws that have been written in other places in the first four books. And then the last um, importance would be that in Deuteronomy 17, 18, we learn that when you are setting up a king, one of the, one of the things that the king is supposed to do, actually the thing that the king is supposed to do, is make a copy of this law by his hand from the text that the Levites, I mean, the Levitical priesthood would give him from the scroll that will be beside the ark, which we'll learn that. So the king is supposed to make his own copy. This understanding of the name is present challenges for us too. Because many of us think of the word law and we can dismiss it and say, well, that's not for us. We're not... Under law, we're under grace. So we often look over the first or Old Testament. I like prefer to call them first and second testaments instead of old and new. Um, except for the, the books of Psalms and Proverbs. Those are good. Those are helpful. They, can turn, they contain the poetry and our, our coffee mug sayings. So they, they can stick around. And then Genesis is okay as well. It's got a bunch of good stories in it. And uh, a lot of controversies come out of Genesis. So we'll, we'll read Genesis. But the rest of the, of the first, test, uh, first Testament is either skipped over or, even worse, 
mindlessly read. You know, read without intention and read without looking for God and His promises. We just want to check our box on our reading plan. We'll need to focus and give special attention to Deuteronomy as it is full of teachings of who God is and many ideas established in this book are applied in the Second Testament. The fourth detail relates to the third. It's how we as modern readers relate to the word law. Many people hear the word law and immediately file it into a category of out of date or too hard to understand. These instructions are both structured by their context and filled with purpose for their original audience. That does not mean that they are irrelevant to us. We need to treasure these instructions for each and every one of them reveals something about the character of God. Let me repeat that. Each and every one of these laws reveals something about the character of God. And that is something we want to know. So we can dig into these laws like they were buried treasure. In fact, in chapter 4, verse 6, it tells us that keeping and doing these laws will be your wisdom and understanding in the sight of all the peoples. For the people of Israel, God's laws are meant to be a response to God's choosing of them. The way that they will be able to live and thrive in the land so that their lives will preach to the world. The fifth detail we need to know about Deuteronomy is found in verses 2 and 3 of chapter 1. It says, It is 11 days' journey from Horeb by the way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea. And in the 40th year, the first day of the 11th month, Moses spoke to the people of Israel according to all that the Lord had given them. Commandment. So it takes 11 days to get from where they were given the law, the Ten Commandments, the first time, to get to where they sent the spies out. It only takes 11 days. Yet, it has taken 40 years to get to this point. So I'm no mathematician, but that's about 13,000 times longer. Between 11 days and 40 years. Think of the things in your life that should have taken 11 days. And yet, 40 years later, you're now getting ready, prepared to enter into the good land. So there's a tone of, uh, of sorrow here in the beginning. And in fact, the first three chapters we're going to go through, is, it's history. And, and Moses reminds them over and over again you know, that this is your history and you have rebelled consistently it's God. But Moses isn't, isn't opposed to saying, hey, I didn't... No, he owns his own sin as well and is, is faithful to present that. So the sixth detail is the structure of this teaching. It is possible, and many scholars argue, that this book was based on the treaty structures of ancient Near Eastern people. And after all, Moses was raised for the first 40 years of his life in the palace of Egypt. So he probably was familiar with those treaties. And as this is a survey class and not a detailed class, I don't believe we have time for those discussions. And so we're going we're gonna to not include them uh, unless you hear, you may hear some words, and I'll try to be clear on those if I bring them in that, that align according to those structures. But regardless, the structure of this book, 
the one thing that everyone agrees upon is that this book is structured upon the promise of God to give Abraham's descendants the land that they're about to enter. And that's the foundational structure we want to hold on to. Number seven. The seventh detail is actually a question. Why would I say that the book of Deuteronomy is the heart of the First Testament? And this is a, an idea I, I stand upon the shoulders of Dr. Jim Hamilton. Um, and he has served me well through this book. So think about a heart. right? What does a heart do? It receives and sends blood to the body, right? Back and flow, lub, dub, lub, dub. That's what the, your uh, anatomy teacher told you. So. But in the same way, Deuteronomy will receive the patterns, types, and character of God and his people from the first four books of the Bible. And, and we could think of them as the lungs in this metaphor, right? They supply the oxygen or the theology for the blood that will be sent through the rest of the 34 books of the First Testament. There's quite a bit of of Deuteronomy in the Second Testament as well. In fact, uh, it's the third most quoted book in the Second Testament and the most quoted book by Jesus himself. So this is a rather important book. You will hear hear the the, uh, Psalm 24 that we've been going through, um, the game of... A yeshab um, has a lot of its clear drawing from the teaching of Deuteronomy. And we're going to present and see that um, in chapter 4 here this morning. So, here we go. Start with our survey. All right, so we already discussed the introduction of of verses 1 through 5 in chapter 1. Chapters from starting with verse 6 all the way to the end of chapter 3, we get a brief history of what the Israelites have been doing up to this point. And Moses highlights several key elements to that. So first, in 6, six through 8, he tells them they were commanded to leave and go from Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb down to the wilderness, to Kadesh Barnea and enter in. And then he goes into a kind of strange telling of, a retelling of the time whenever he chose leaders, which actually was before... They actually got to Mount Sinai, but he brings it up right here. And I think the importance of him bringing it up here is to let them know the reason why that y'all didn't go into the land the first time is because of you. These have been your choices. The leaders have led them astray over and over again, and the people's hearts have followed over them. And so that's chapter 1, verses 9 through 18. In chapter 1, verse 19 through the end, in, in chapter, I mean, in uh, verse 46, tells of their, their time with the spies at Kadesh Barnea and how they failed to trust God and His word to go into the land because there were giants in the land. They were going to eat us. We're like grasshoppers in their eyes. And, and giants were the primary limitation for the people to believing the God. So they, they saw with their eyes and their hearts melted. Their desire went away, much in the same way that we learned the pattern in the, uh, the book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 3. one thirty-two and 33 says, Yet in spite of this word, you did not believe the Lord your God, who went before you in the way to seek you out a place to pitch your tents. 
in fire by night and the cloud by day to show you by what way they should go. How would this people, and, and you gotta, you got to know that this was, this had to be somber for them and had to be hard for them to hear some of these statements. All right, y'all didn't believe and yet you still had the cloud over you by day and, and the fire by night. You still got manna every morning for your food. God fed you. There was water. He cared for you. How could you not believe that this God who's done all these things, you saw the Red Sea, you saw the plagues in, in Egypt, and how could you believe that God couldn't drive out these people? And so they would, they would have to hear that and they would say, yeah, that's us. And so they failed to enter the land. So we, in chapter 2, we, we come back to the ending of their wanderings and most of the people from the first generation of Israelites have passed on and we get their trek back towards where they are right now. And it's the history of their, their return. And we learn about two, two major victories for this generation in the defeat of King Sihon and King Og. But it's important because it tells us in 311 that King Og had a bed that was about 13 and a half feet long and six feet wide. Nine feet wide, I'm sorry. Nine feet wide. In other words, King Og was a giant. So apparently the people could defeat giants if they were trusting and, and leaning on what God had said. So we, we wrap up chapter 3 with one last time Moses asking God if he can go in. God, may I go? And, and God tells him very, very clearly, stop asking me. This is, this is a settled issue, I've told you. And it's really important for these people to hear that not even Moses gets away with sin. He must bear under these consequences, under the design and plan of God. He, he made a choice. And so they must hear that their lives will make choices and they will bear the consequences for those choices. And we will get into that. So he tells him, tells Moses directly, uh, chapter 3, verse 27, Go up to, to the top of Pishka, which is the mountain he's on. Lift up your eyes westward and northward and southward and eastward and look at it with your eyes. For you shall not go over this Jordan. Next section of our, our book, chapters 4 through 11, which more than likely we'll only get through, I want to say chapter 6 today, with next 10 minutes. We'll see. Because um, it definitely slows us down. As we get into a, a section in here from 4 through 11 that talks about the reasons we obey God. The reasons they will need to obey God as they're in the land. He says in, in chapter 4, verse 1, And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you, and do them, that you may live and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. So they are supposed to listen. The word listen in the Hebrew language is a loaded word. It not only means the hearing, but it means hearing and obeying. Right? This passage later on will use words like keeping and doing. 
We already discussed it. It tells us that this is going to be their wisdom. This is the way that you live and thrive. This is the beautiful life that God has set before them as they enter into this land of promise. But why? In verses 6 through 8 of chapter 4, he tells them why. He gives them the why. And he says, keep them and do them, for they, are, they will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who when they hear all these statutes will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us? Whenever we call upon him, and what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? In other words, the reason why we go in, or one of the reasons, primary reason, is that we get to relate to God and have God as our God. But second reason is that the people are watching. And they will see the greatness of God. You remember the blessing of Abraham? The last half of the blessing is that, and in you all the nations of the world will be blessed. You live according to faith, and the nations will be blessed around you. They will be asking you, what is the reason for the hope that resides in you? Verse 9 transition us, transitions us in chapter 40. It says, only take care and keep yourselves diligently, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. Verse 9 establishes a principle of the heart, which we're going to get into and discuss as uh, chapters, chapters starting here in chapter 4 and all the way through chapter 11, this issue of the heart comes back again and again. You must remember in Hebrew, there is no word for the mind. No word for mind in Hebrew. The word they had was heart. It meant your whole being. The things you thought, the things you had affections for, though that was who you were, right? And so we get this principle of a mind that we are supposed to be diligently keeping um, and taking watch over our souls. Verses four, uh, verse, in chapter 4, verses 10 through 24 takes us back to Horeb in preparation of what he's going to do in chapter 5 in retelling of the, uh, the Ten Commandments. And he, he lets them know, because he over and over again, he keeps highlighting, have no idols. Don't do idols. This is what it looks like to have idols. Steer away from it. Fall, you know, stay far away from it. Because idolatry will be the constant problem that plagues the people of Israel. Guess what our constant problem is? Finding our identity, our worth, and our value in something other than God. And that's idolatry. We long to see our identity, value, and worth in things other than God. Verses 23 through 31 of chapter 4 um, had these if-when statements. I know you computer programmers said, no, you were meant to write then. No, if-when. Moses starts out by telling them, if you get into the land and you start having idols and start going according to your way that these things are going to happen to you. And then he, he transitions and it, it loses its if statement and becomes a prophecy, a when statement. You are going to do this. It will be what you do. 
and and he he carries it through. And in chapter in uh, verse twenty nine, he transitions and he says, "But from there, because he t- uh, he told him that your idolatry is going to have you driven away from the land. You're going to be scattered, and they will be right." We get into the, the end of the book of Kings and the people are scattered. They're gone from the land because of their sin. But from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him. If you search after him with all your heart, with all your soul. And when you're in tribulation and all these things come upon you in the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and obey his voice. For the Lord your God is merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. You hear Ezekiel pick up his passage and say he's going to give them, take out their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. This is what God will do for his people, even if they abandon him. Verses 32 to 40 um, teach us how to play the game of Yashab, the introductory uh, game and they it's a really interesting little passage M- Moses gives him a little quest he says all right here you go you want you want to prove this to be true go back to the beginning go to every land go to every written history and find out if there's ever been has there ever been a god who has dealt with the people like I have dealt with you like the lord god has dealt with them and and the answer is a rhetorical question obviously is no can't. There is no other God that has taken a nation and birthed them out of a whole other nation. That has, has given promises and been faithful to those promises. And so they, they are given this, this foundation for what he's preparing for them in chapter 5. Um, as he retells in chapter 5 the Ten Commandments, almost verbatim. Um, the, the Sabbath uh, commandment gives a little variation on it as he gives a and you remember in, in Exodus 20, as he tells about the Sabbath, the Sabbath, the reason you follow the Sabbath is because the Lord established the earth in six days and on the seventh day he rested, right? Well, in, in chapter 5, verse 15, we learn, you shall remember, and he's talking about the Sabbath, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. In other words, your slaves don't work like a slave. There's an importance. There's a, there's a rhythm to your life that, that declares something about God. It's why you're, it is why you're here today. There's a rhythm to your life that declares your love and passion for God. Chapter 6, we hear the, um, the foundational words for the people of Israel. This is... This is where we hear the Shema, the, uh, the words that mean for Israel to hear. Um, and it becomes the, um, the coffee mug slogan for them, for the rest, even up to today, um, these words. Um, and he, he goes in, and I'm, I'm going to start in verse, verse 1. I didn't write verse 1 in here, so I'm going to pick it up. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules the Lord God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may not that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your sons and your sons' sons, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. 
Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in the land flowing with milk and honey. Did you hear the, uh, the Genesis 1 promise? That you may multiply greatly? Once again, patterns. We need to pick up on and hear. Here we go, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That is the doctrinal foundation for the nation of Israel. That one truth every one of them knows. And, and it is a foundational truth for us as well. Please note that the word, the word one there um, is the same word that, that Moses writes when he writes in uh, Genesis chapter 2 that he brings the man and the woman together and they become one flesh. So the idea is not that it has to be a singularity of one, but they become a unity in the one. And it's this same word used here. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Therefore, you are not just supposed to learn this doctrine. You are supposed to practice this doctrine. It's supposed to ingrain in every part of you so that you will teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit down in your house, when you walk by the way. When you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be in the frontlets between your eyes and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. They shall always be around you. And the Israelites took, took this word and they, it would literally fold up this, this phrase, little piece of Deuteronomy or other truths that they learned and they would fold it into a little slip of paper and they would slide it into a little box and they would nail it to the doorpost of their house. And they'd pass by it, kiss their fingers and touch it as a reminder that the things I do today, the things I'm going out to do, I'm going to do according to that the Lord is one. And I am going to love him with all my heart and all my soul and all my might. All right. this, is, this is how they would progress. And so it would, it's characterized as being on the, the, the front of their foreheads because they wanted their thoughts to be that way as well. Then it's on the back of their hand because the things that they do with their hands are going to be in line with God being one. And so it becomes this, this cyclical thing that they learn the doctrine and then they practice the doctrine. They teach the doctrine and then they repeat. Because every time they teach the doctrine, they learn more about it. Trust me. As a, as a teacher, you learn more about the truths you're teaching as you teach. And, it, and it's amazing. It, it leads you back to a greater love and appreciation of the doctrine. So in, in the end of chapter 6, as we close, um, he gives us a, a greater structure of the motivations for obeying the covenant, which leads us well into chapter 7, which is where we will pick up next week in chapter 7. Um, we will have a 8 o'clock prayer time for the Osinax in two weeks, in the 17th. Um, here at 8 o'clock, I'll send out a reminder as well. Email any of those that you want to come and be a part of that 8 a.m. on the 17th uh, of that. Next week, we'll go from chapter 7 to... I'm not going to give you a number because it's going to be a ways. But we might get to 26. I don't know. Maybe that big of a chunk. But I know 7 through 11. And then we'll try to get into the laws themselves. Your homework and your assignment um, is to read through that big section, 12 through 26. And find the weirdest law, according to you, that you can think of. So, find it. Thank you very much for your attention.